0: Hotep family, I shades all my people out there. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic <coughs> Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. This is the podcast where we give our point of view of controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African-Americans. In the words of Maya Angelou, do your best until you know better. And when you know better, do better. So it's important that we search for information to discover what we don't know so we can discover our best selves. Um, I'm joined today by my co-host. Uh, to the right of me is Shaquan Battle.
1: I mean, hello. So yeah. Today gonna be one of the ones.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> to the right of him is Jerome Battle. What's up? And I am your host, Martre Baker Stevens. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thanking everybody for um, watching the episodes. Uh, we have a lot of new listeners. Um, welcome. Go back and catch up on all old episodes. Um, also, if you're on Facebook, type in my unapologetic perspective, follow that Facebook page, go to YouTube, type in uh, Mighty Motivation Network, and you can catch up on all the latest episodes. Also, if you follow me on Facebook, the algorithms on Facebook is really hard to crack. Mm-hmm. So if you have not been seeing my post, go to my Facebook and add me on um, see First on your timeline. That way you can be able to catch up on all the updates because Facebook gets the least amount of views of videos, but is the best outlet to get out there to people. So we have, you know, thousands of views on Instagram, hundreds of views on YouTube, but Facebook has maybe, you know, 20 views from one video just because of the algorithms. So if you want to see more posts on Facebook, make sure y'all go hit that uh, see first option on Facebook so you can be able to watch us um, as we post throughout the week um how are y'all good Good. everybody's good Good. y'all want to jump right in or something y'all want to say before
2: let's
0: jump right in in. um today is an important um conversation to have uh especially for me so today we're going to be talking about the history of law enforcement officers um the history of black law enforcement officers in particular um for me because i wear a badge uh, i've been wearing a badge for 10 years So I understand the importance and the significance of wearing a badge to a lot of other people who may look at it as a a bad thing. Um, But before we even start, um, I'll ask you, Dad, on your interpretation of law enforcement that may have changed um, over the last 20 or 30 years or things that may have stayed the same just from your knowledge and background.
2: You know, originally you would think that there were a lot less black police officers in history mm-hmm. than, than today. And actually it's the opposite. Absolutely. The, the black police officer, um, in terms of quantity has went down
0: mm-hmm.
2: rather than up. Yeah. And a lot of that can be attributed to the police brutality mm-hmm. that, uh, blacks, uh, withstand disproportionately compared to whites. Um, and because of that, Blacks, even as you know, being, being a brother in, in, in arms, is that they have to choose a side. Yeah. And you either have to be blue first, which is of the fellow police departments, or you have to be Black first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know in America, I don't care what you choose how's America going to view you? Mm-hmm. You're going to be black first. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult for those police officers to accept those positions and be black first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for a lot of reasons, because I'm not a, I, I can tell you this, I'm not an advocate of them being black first. They mm-hmm. should be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And it should not matter what color they are, nor should it matter what color the the suspect is. Um, however, that's not true. And we know that's not true. So you have to um, have some type of plan to match reality, and that plan is most people choose not to be a police officer. It's too difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a—I have a couple of friends that are police officers. I have one friend that's an FBI agent, and one of the reasons why he chose to be an FBI, FBI agent and not a local police is because he didn't want to have to deal with criminals that he knew, mm-hmm. including family members. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it very difficult when a black person chooses to be a police officer. However, I will add this in order to make real change. We need more black police officers, Mm -hmm. which means we need more people understanding what it is to be a police officer and, and what their real job is and how to do it. But we have to make sure that we're grooming people and we're telling kids that it's okay to be a police officer. Yeah, right. And I think that that's where some of these 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 riots and protests could be deterring black youth from becoming police officers. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm not saying that that it's any shame on anybody other than the fact we have to figure out a way to fix it.
0: Absolutely. Your thoughts.
1: Uh <clears throat> I will speak more for me just being in the, this area uh I have seen it change from my teenage years to now being a grown man. Um, you know, teenage years it was you had certain cops that harassed black people. Um, we knew who it was. He's no longer on the force. And I will say since Foreman has taken over um as chief, it's been more police engagement with the community. Um, a lot more fun things put on by the police. Uh Chief Foreman showing up places with his uniform on, without his uniform on. Um, having other police officers show up in uniform, out of uniform. So just more police engagement in has Bedford been, has been changing uh, since I've been a teen for
0: me. Absolutely. Um, for me, everything that y'all said, you know, I experienced firsthand for, for the past 10 years. So when you talk about distinguishing the uniform from um, black, uh, it's, it's really hard because of how you may identify According to who you are around a lot of times and a lot of times, you know, you're looked at a certain way from both sides when situations happen, you understand both sides um, and to make a choice. I don't think you really have to make a, a conscious choice. You just have to do what's right at the end of the day and you have to un- you have to allow the the other side to understand why you feel is correct. You know, there were things about, you know, insurrections and injustice that I agree with. And there are things that the black community has been outraged over with that I don't agree with. Um, just by knowing a lot of methods and a lot of uh, uh, scenarios that happen in law enforcement, you understand the way of thinking sometimes. And I believe that this episode will kind of bring things to the surface of what it is that some officers have to deal with and, to not consciously judge based off of history Because we know history has shaped African American thoughts We know that music, things like the N.W.A., things like movies and Hollywood The way they portray officers is correct in a lot of terms But we we tend to take one officer and make them into one million And that's hard to do when there's hundreds or thousands of, of great officers out there that you take one bad rotten apple Mm -hmm. and you spoil the rest of the bunch. And I believe that's what the black community has done. And I'm not going to say it's not fair because of the treatment through history, but I believe that we have to educate ourselves enough to know that there is changes being made. And we black officers that struggle with identity sometimes are trying to be a part of that change. And create that change for the community so um let's get into a little bit of the history real quick and then we'll jump into some more um advanced conversations of perspective uh now when i get into the history real quick i want to be i'm careful with dates i want to be careful with dates and i want to be careful using the word first because a lot of things isn't written documentation when it comes to this right. so when we talk about first when we talk about dates these are dates where people have written documentation and there's still some things that may have not came out yet about certain individuals that may have um that may have been before some of these people that i'm going to name or some of these situations that right. i named and they may have
2: been first in that city or that state in that, right? in that state so in the united states yeah right? so
0: even if you look at a lot of the research that we found online, there are pl- different police departments that have their own history, and they credit a lot of their officers with being the first African American, but you don't know if they're talking about their city, their state, or their department, right. or the entire country. So as you begin to look, because I looked up a few things, it was like, this the first police officer in the, in the United States. And then I look at another one, and the date is 10 years before uh, that absolutely. one. And I'm absolutely. like, wait a minute, that, that don't add up. So again, I'm careful <laughs> with dates before we start, but... One of the first ones that you have documentation of is 1867 in Selma, Alabama, which is some of your first African police police officers. For the people saying, you know, Selma, Alabama, that you know, how does that happen? Well, we gotta understand that during the Civil War, especially, free black men were required to serve as um to the martial order or the or the sheriff's discretion. So you will be picked, you would be sworn in, and you would be able to police certain things because as a citizen, it was your honor and your duty to serve your community. And you also have to look at the Reconstruction period that after the Civil War, the Reconstruction period was put into place to help put African-Americans in a in a, in a better opportunist position where a lot of white people didn't have the chance to vote. A lot of white people couldn't serve on certain um, law and order situations. So African-Americans, you can see from the Reconstruction period, ran a lot of the police departments in the south during that time. Um another place would have been New Orleans, Louisiana where about 177 African American officers was due um, was on duty back in 1870. And you also could look at 1870 Jacksonville, Florida uh where the first African American officer was killed in the line of duty. Again, by by record of of what we have, this is one of the ones that's recognized as the first officer killed. Right. And his name was um uh, William, Jackson, Johnson, William Johnson William Johnson um, at Jacksonville Police Department is actually was actually predominantly black up until about 1885 the end of uh, a few years after the end of the reconstruction period before you get the Ku Klux Klan and all of them taking over uh, what we call the South and the Deep South That's right uh, we talked about them on the episode before uh, the new movie came out Um Uh, About Bass Reeves, who was appointed uh, first African-American deputy U.S. Marshal. Go back and watch that episode if you want to learn more about uh, Bass Reeves, talking about the expansion of the West and the Black Cowboy. Um, Denver Police Department. Now, the Midwest was a little different because the Midwest was holding elections for uh, police officers. So Isaac Brown in Denver became the first uh, Black officer in Denver Police Department to be elected. As a police officer and you were elected Based on your, this is key Your involvement and your upstanding With the community that's right. So if the community is you as a person That should be put into that position of An officer, they would elect you So that's one thing we're going to get into in a little bit Also in
1: 1870 <clears throat> New Orleans Louisiana had 177 African American officers and three out of the five police board members was african-american
0: absolutely again you again you have to understand louis you have to understand history and understand louisiana right. louisiana and during that time was the melting pot before new york was the melting pot right.
2: you still got to keep in perspective too what you just said about the involvement in the community we're still talking about predominantly and in most cases all black like neighborhoods yeah so you're not having these police officers police in white communities mm-hmm. so we're going to be clear about that too
0: absolutely um, 1966, uh, Sheriff, uh, Lucius Amerson was one of the first elected American sheriffs, African-American sheriffs, Macon County, Alabama. Again, some people say Alabama Macon County is, was, and still is predominantly black, probably about 80% black. Right. Um, but uh, will you, uh, Wiley G Overton was the first African-American of the, um, I think it's the Brooklyn police department. Now this is before it became the NYPD. Mm-hmm. So um, this was back in 1892. You know, Wiley G. G. Overton, he didn't stay but 10 months <laughs> because the, the racism and the prejudice was so was so overwhelming. He only stayed 10 months, but it opened up the door for somebody by the name of Moses Cobb. Now, Moses Cobb began with the Brooklyn the Police Department before it becomes the NYPD. He starts off as a doorman for the precinct and then becomes uh, part of the foot patrol in Brooklyn. Now, we talked about this on the episode before. Moses Cobb uh, was born on a plantation in North Carolina, and he walked um, to what we call Weeksville, Brooklyn, which was an all-Black community, and that's the community he served, and he served that community for 27 years as a patrolman. Um, But, you know, his wife talked about how, you know, he just wanted to treat everybody with respect. He's the the first African-American to retire, from the NYPD. Um,
2: and, and speaking of New York, 1911, Samuel Jesse Battle.
0: Well, this is, that was his because, brother-in-law.
2: Right. And see, that was actually before. See, the way New York City works is you have boroughs. Yeah. So when people think of Brooklyn, they think, they hear the Bronx, they hear the Queen, Queens. They think those are cities. They're no, not. They're barrels. Those are just boroughs of New York, New York City. City. Yeah. And Jesse Battle was the first police officer of New York City prior to their being burrowed.
0: Right, so so, yeah. so you have Moses Cobb and them, they were part of the Brooklyn Police Department right. that merged into what we see today as the NYPD. Yes. So the first person to be hired is Moses Cobb's brother-in-law, Samuel Battle, right. that becomes the first. And he was a uh, foot patrol in Harlem. Again, going back to that community, that's what right. happened during this time period in Harlem? The Harlem, Harlem that's when the that's Great right. Migration happened. So you put a black police officer in a predominantly black area, to um to run the neighborhood, and he was you the also first. Had the
2: Harlem riots.
0: You had the Harlem riots in which he was called to to uh to, call, to deescalate right, the de-escalate. situation. That's right. Um, and
2: he did that by taking a picture of a seventeen-year-old boy that was murdered mm-hmm. during that time, and he started circulating that photo amongst the rioters and saying, "Hey, this is what you guys are causing, right? Okay, I realize you're fighting for a different cause, but what you're fighting for caused this mm-hmm. to happen." And it, it 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 slowed the riots, right. it
0: quieted the riot. That riot is uh, Harlem riot, 1943. That's right. 1943 is the Harlem riots. Um, but you know, he he endured discrimination. White officers wouldn't even speak to him.
2: That's why you call him Big
0: Sam. Yeah, uh, white citizens wouldn't respect him, and he stayed with it, and he continued to work. Um, he actually one day he found a note on his bunk to that said that uh, they had some racial threatening comments, and they put a a, a size of a bullet hole into the paper after they wrote it that's right. to kind of warn them, which goes back to the article that you sent me a few weeks ago about um police officer whose police chief left him a KKK note, That's right. right? So this is something that we've seen then. This is something that we're still seeing now, but he becomes the first black sergeant in 1926, first black lieutenant in 1935, first black parole board commissioner in 1941, 1941 which we, I'll get to it a little bit later. Why that's important when you talk about promotion and rank. We'll talk about that in uh, in a few minutes. Now, when it comes to the first African American woman police officer, there's a little bit of um discrepancy there. So you okay. had a woman by the name of Core <laughs> Parchment of the NYPD. Simultaneously, you have a woman by the name of Georgia Robinson out of the uh LAPD. Mm-hmm. Now, going by who was hired first, you will go with Georgia Ann Robinson. She was but yeah well she was a volunteer yeah, and then she became uh but if you go about who was sworn in first as an officer you will go with core uh core parchment, parchment right, right. so core parchment 1919 was appointed to the NYPD where she served under the welfare uh, system in Harlem um again going back to that black population handling black problems was the uh of police officer uh but Georgia Ann Robinson served the community so much in LA for desegregation and fighting women rights that the LAPD came to her That's right. and say, yo, uh, you know, we want your help in, inside the police department. So she, again, she volunteered for three years and then <clears throat> going part-time, but then officially becoming a, a full-time police officer. Um, first detective was Wesley C. Redding. Um, he became detective in New York, um, but he was known for being a patrolman in, in one night where he made eight single felony arrests in one night. Um, but he died at a, a very early age. Uh, the one people probably most familiar of is with uh, Lloyd Seeley. First uh, FBI age. First, uh, first, one to, to join the FBI, uh, served 34 years um, in the police department, first to become African-American assist chief and inspector. He moved through the ranks. When you talk Wait, about promotion, you're talking about a guy to go sergeant, lieutenant, chief, captain, all of these things. He was the first one to run, as you talked about earlier, with New York. Run the actual uh, precinct of Harlem, and then he was the first one to run the borough of Brooklyn. That's right. So he was the first one to um, do that. But what I like about Lloyd is after he retires, he becomes a uh, instructor at a community college to talk about law enforcement That's and right. education to be able to give this information not only to officers, one of our uh, next level officers, but the community people that are going to be dealing with officers. And he wrote a book called community and the police where he talks about uh police officers should be serving more of a social serving role instead of a more um instead of a more self-serving role That's right. and you do that by hiring more minorities you do that by training more officers in, in human services and so when you talk about somebody who uh moved up the ranks who served the police but he also was real big into that pol- uh community policing you're talking about Lloyd Seeley. Um, if you've seen the movie Black Klansman, of course, Ron Stallworth, um, you know, he infiltrated the KKK and he did this over the phone by getting them to trust him to join the KK over the That's phone right. as a black person. But he realized, wait a minute, I, I can't talk to these people in person because I'm black. So he brings in another undercover agent who goes in and ba- basically be his mouthpiece in person to where he infiltrated. They infiltrated the KKK to you know, bring out white supremacists that was in the military. Um, they stopped, uh, you know, um, terrorism, and he was able to fool a lot of those Grand Wizard KKK members. Um, and that's Ron Stallworth. Go watch the movie Black Klansman by Spike Lee. Wonderful movie. Uh, you also, um, I'm gonna bring up a uh, Congresswoman Val uh, Demings. I think that's the way you say it. Uh, she's a Congresswoman out of uh, Florida. But, you know, she served um, on the police department for, I want to say, 27 years. And she actually the first um, female police chief of Orlando. But what she did was she helped reduce the crime rate by 40 percent, especially in predominantly black areas, because she put in programs. She put in mentoring programs. She put in um, housing projects, programs, um, initiative programs, operational programs. And again, we'll talk about this in a little bit, how infiltration at promotional levels goes far beyond the scope of the institution. It goes towards the community as well. Any more on the black history of police officers?
2: We we probably need to talk a little bit about slave coats um, and slave patrols. A yeah. Bit. Okay. Focus um, on that. Oh, as they, if you watch Roots or if you watch um, Mary Jane Pittman, they call them patty rollers. Mm-hmm. That's what um, a lot of the original police officers. Right. Of, of I had somebody Mary. hit me the other day on um, Facebook and said, you know, you always talk about the states that you dislike the most. You <laughs> never mention Virginia. You know, my, my my boy called me the other
0: day and he was like. Uh, he said, every time your, your pop say, you know, he hate the states to the south, he said, I can't help but laugh. Yeah,
2: and they said, you never mentioned Virginia. That's because mm-hmm. I live here, I have to go home, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, there are some things that Virginia was the first to do regarding um, defining slave codes um, for African for Americans um, and how they police those communities. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why you never really had police officers policing in white communities is, you, you can't make this up. It's because they didn't want black people telling white people what to do. Of course, and it's not because they weren't good police officers or or good at their job. It's because they simply did not think it was proper or appropriate, as they say in Virginia, for black people to tell white people what to do. So you couldn't police in the area. Mm-hmm. And the one, and we're not just talking about being police officers we're talking about firefighters as well right so firefighters normally didn't put fires out in white communities right right only in the black community well even
0: when firefighters were were looking to create their own departments uh it was very hard for them to get the funding because they didn't want black people to get that funding they wanted to go to the white fire department that's right
2: and in doing this research this is some other things that i i found out that we read about in school Mm -hmm. we didn't read the same narrative Like the beginning of the concept of EMS. So, when we talk about um, emergency medical services, which, you know, when an ambulance comes and picks you up, back in the day, police officers drove the individual from the site to the hospital. So, there was no immediate medical services for that individual. And there was an institution in Philadelphia that created the concept for EMS. And they did so in working with the police officers to say, hey, we need to make sure these people are getting cared for before they get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. That way we can save more lives. Mm-hmm. Not just in the black communities, but guess what? In your community too. Right. So some of the things that happened because of more blacks becoming police officers and more blacks becoming firefighters was the EMS mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And then, and
0: um, one of the things that was ended up happening during that time, not, police officers weren't taking them to the hospital they would take them to the jail with all of these wounds and nobody would, uh, nobody was uh, there to treat them. Um, But we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back Uh, again. Go to YouTube, type in mighty, uh, type in mighty motivation network, hit the subscribe button, got some new comments, got some new subscribers. Shout out to y'all. Thank y'all for tuning in. Go to uh, Facebook, uh, type in my unapologetic perspective, uh, follow all of the latest updates. Um, so let's get into a little bit more of the perspective. Uh, we got the history. Uh, let's get into a little bit more perspective. And I'll start, because especially when you talk about the struggle for black officers. And of course, you know, one of the struggles has to do with history. Like I said, I, you can't blame African-Americans for feeling how they feel about the police. Right. I understand it. Even as an officer, I understand it um, because there is such a cruel history of treatment of african-americans by police not only that there's such a cruel history of black officers going along with some of the things that those white officers was doing you know nwa says it in the song you know that if a black officer is with a white officer he's going to be just as worse as the white officer you know what i'm saying there were a lot of those type of people that took on those type of concepts and you can go back to slavery with the, the sambos and all of those other people that we talked about on the, on the podcast before you had black slave catches. I mean, we know this, we know there were people who did things for their own self-sufficient benefit to try to fit in with, with those people to turn against their uh, turn against black people themselves. Um, but one of the things that we looked at is of course uh, a traitor because people aren't looking at you, the person anymore. People are looking at you um as a uniform. Uh, but one thing that I want people to understand is we are attempting to create the relationship that wouldn't depict us as the enemy. That's right. Because we know as a black, as black people, we're not supposed to look at police officers and be afraid. That's a problem. The right. fact that you can look at a police officer and be afraid, there's n- I never I tell parents this when i when they want me to talk to their kid they want me to add the the uniform in that that that's a horrible idea to me that that creates in the psyche that every mistake that you make you're gonna go to jail or or that you should be afraid of the police that's that's bad for the psyche in my opinion when you see police officer you should think public servant mm-hmm. Same way you do your nurses, your doctors, same way you do your EMS, same way you do your fire department. That is the way that you're supposed to look at the police department. So when you look at a black officer, the point of seeing me black in uniform is to feel less threatening. You know what I'm saying? Huey Newton talked about it. Asada Shakur talked about it. Black leaders talked about it. That when they were in jail or in the hospital from being beat up by police, When they seen black public servants, police officers, doctors, nurses, they felt safer. That's right. Even though it may not always been the cause, because again, you have those people who take on those ideologies, but we are the ones that should make you feel less threatened. We are the ones that make you feel safer. We are the ones that can able to communicate with you and for you back and forth that we talked about on on this, on this, on this, on these podcasts before to make you feel that it's necessary to find a solution to whatever the problem is.
2: I I agree. You know, we we talk about a lot of these different things in terms of what's the difference between this or that. And a lot of it is understanding and communication. Mm -hmm. So in the case of any police officer and a suspect, the line of communication needs to be clear. When is it going to be the most foggiest? Is Mm -hmm. when it's a white police officer and a black suspect. Right. Um, they can't necessarily communicate with us and we're not able to communicate with them. Also, you know, a lot of people say, oh, sometimes you talk, Jerome, you sound anti-American. I'm not anti-American. I'm anti-American way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm not anti-police. I'm anti-police way of thinking. Right. It's the way they think about a black suspect. Mm-hmm. By law, they're supposed to be upholding the law, right? right. Mm-hmm. And you are supposed to be innocent until no proven guilty. You. That's not how they approach you. Right? Attitude plays a big part in the whole thing. And I'm not going to deny the fact that the attitude of the black criminal was one of the worst. Right, I can tell you as a former criminal that sometimes we would do things with an attitude and look at the public like, and what, yeah. right? As to say, I know I'm wrong, but I don't care, mm-hmm. right? So how is a police officer supposed to approach you? They have to meet that same aggression. Now, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying I understand. Mm -hmm. And again, at the beginning of my segment, I said understanding and communication are two of the most important. So understanding is huge. And I just want to go one step further and say that not every situation is the same, even though it may appear to be. Give you a great example. For those that's been watching the news, Pharrell Williams, the the entertainer Pharrell, had a cousin that was murdered in Virginia Beach, Mm -hmm. right? By a black police officer they charge the black police officer, which goes in line with what we talked about last week. They don't have any problem charging the black officer, (laughs) right? right? But they always have a problem charging the white officer. But nonetheless, this is not the same situation as the other situations that we see, not because the officer was black. Mm -hmm. It's because the black officer was off duty and it probably warranted the shooting of this black individual, Mm -hmm. if you listen to the facts of the case. Not the media, not the fact that this, son, this guy's son was murdered and he wants somebody to be held accountable. You can't look at that. You have to look at the evidence of the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It seems to me, and I'm in agreement with the, the, the jury that decided that he was not guilty. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. This is not the same case as all the other cases that we talked about. The problem arises when we make it the same. Mm-hmm. And we do that, Black America. Mm-hmm. We do that by saying, here it goes again. Mm-hmm. It's not. LeBron James got ridiculed for saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the same, and when you make it the same, you water down real versions of racism and discrimination. Right. That's us doing it. Mm-hmm. Once again, understanding the communication. Understand the situation before you start talking about mm-hmm. it, because you could be doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. For police officers, black police officers, trying to work in the community, especially in the black community, one, they have to deal with racism within the department. Right. Let's just be real. You can't have systematic racism and racism that exists in the department, right? right? That's what it means. So when we talk about systemic racism, we're talking about the department was founded and is ran on racism. Mm -hmm. And this officer is infiltrating it. That's how they feel. He's infiltrating it, right? So now he has to decide, am I going to be the best police officer I can be? Or am I going to be what it is they want me to be in order to have my job? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? And we're seeing time and time again in these police departments where people are bringing up racism, racism and discrimination Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. You can Google right now and probably see two cases that just happened this part this past week. It happens. Mm -hmm. So these officers are having to deal with that and then go out into a community and try to police areas where there's a high volume of a black criminal.
0: Well, try to police areas that look at you like the case that you got going on in the, within right. the police department.
2: Absolutely. And
0: then they got to go home and raise their families. Yeah. How do you do that? And that's hard because most after uh, they did a survey that most family members would not approve of their family being a police officer in the black community. Absolutely. So that's hard to do because... You know, the joke's being made. Don't arrest me. You know what I'm saying? Don't get get your gut out. You know, like we understand that that's not a joke. You're being serious. You just don't want to disrespect somebody just because they're they're your family. But we know that a lot of black family members don't agree with seeing black people in in uniform.
2: And, And we have to change that narrative because you cannot expect the people that are discriminating against you to fix it themselves. Exactly. You you can't do it. And and that's
0: one of my things too because, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I've I've been called every name in the book working at the jail for 10 years. And my thing to black people has always been this, the black inmates, listen, number one, I ain't put you here. (laughs) You you take that up with, with, if you did it or not, you take that up with the officer that you feel like arrested you. That's between y'all. I ain't put you here. The next thing is, would you rather it be me Sitting here with you, having a conversation with you, communicating with you, serving you, or would you rather be a KKK member that you don't know? That's right. In my mind, it should be me, right? Because I should want, I'm should one, i the one that should make you feel safer. So if you say, oh, yo, but y'all black people shouldn't be in law enforcement. Okay, remove all of us. Do what you got. You got people? That, listen, you can look at the Derek Chauvin case. There were officers who agreed with what Derek Chauvin did. Those are the people you're gonna be dealing with. That's you right. look at the OJ Simpson trial was, was remarkable and what, what it would have revealed, especially when you looked at the Mark Furman tapes. Now the jury jury was not able to hear all of it, but 13 hours of tapes, Mark Furman for the LAPD said the word nigga more than he said a verb. That's right. That's that's the type of people you're gonna deal with on a regular basis. If we're not here now, are there some officers who are, who are gonna turn a blind eye to it? Yes, but. For the officers that's there that you want to put into the same category as them, you only hurting yourself. Because if I if I get pulled over and it's an officer, a black officer from my community that I know, I can care less if he give me a ticket. That's right. But I do know I'm driving away safely because me and him are able to communicate. If my daughter gets in trouble or, or my nephews get in trouble or my little cousins get in trouble and the police have to be involved and I know the person. They know me. They know my family. I know a safe situation is coming to it. But if there's a person who is not from my city, they are not from my community, they do not look like me, they do not know how to communicate like me, I'm worried about what happened and how did he handle the situation. That's a problem. So when we look at it, I understand the, the way that we think, but we have to understand that we cannot change things from the outside in. You can only change things from the inside out, you know? So I know as black officers, it's hard, trust me. I've thought about leaving plenty of times because it's hard to go back to work after you see somebody kneeling on somebody's neck for for seven minutes. It's hard because you you think to yourself, yo, am I part of the problem? Like how much have, th- have of this have I seen that maybe I didn't correct? You know, how many of these methods that I partake into that that could have got somebody killed? It's not hard. It's not easy to do because, listen, we arguing with these officers at the academy when they tell us that, you know, excessive force. that's not excessive. We watch videos that say, is this excessive force or is it good? We like, yo, that's excessive force. And then we got to argue with our white classmates. Why it's excessive force to the black community? Because you're doing way too much. You know what I'm saying? When we see officers show up in the black community, or did did the officer do something wrong? White people? No. Black people? Hell yeah, he did something yeah. wrong. That's right. You don't approach, you don't communicate like that to black people because when we know there's a lot of officers that as soon as they put their uniform up, their chest come out a little bit. That's right. And if you, I said this on a, a Facebook live, if you got your chest out and you can't fight, the one thing you're going to do is shoot somebody. That's right. So you got not only do you you got a uniform and you got a gun on the side of your hip and you got an institution ran that says it's okay for them to do That's
2: that. Right. You got a system supporting you,
0: right? So listen, I understand both narratives. So when you say okay, the dude didn't have to shoot him five times, you're absolutely right. But you know what it says in his policy? Shoot until the suspect down. That's right. If you want to change it, guess what? Get the promotion that Lloyd Sealy got. And change it from where you are at. That's right. That's why it's not just important to have black officers; it's to have black officers arise in the rank, so you can change some of the methods and the mentalities that's going on in the de- within the department. That's that's standard. So now that we, thanks to somebody recording, the Derek Chauvin, George uh, Floyd situation, yeah, when we go to the academy, ain't no more kneeling on on the that's on the right. collarbone. It's over with.
2: That's right. Why?
0: Because somebody took the time out to record it. Now they got to change it. At one time, the LAPD thought it was OK for you to choke somebody until they pass out.
2: That's right.
0: We're OK right. for me to choke you until you pass out, arrest you, throw you in the backseat. You'll come to on the way. And when they found out a lot of black people was dying. So you know what they said? Can't do this anymore. That's right. Why? Because they got video doing it. At one time the LAPD thought it was okay for you to take your baton and beat the bl- and beat a suspect down. You know what? Somebody recorded it, Rodney, Rodney King, King can't King do it no more. Can't
2: do it no more. <laughs> That's how you make change. Unfortunately, somebody gotta somebody gotta be the victim on the side of that. But you gotta infiltrate the system. We need more people. We need more blacks being police officers and law enforcement. Right. I remember on a,
1: it was an episode on scandal and the, the black people were gonna hate me for saying this, but I mean the, the white cop was kind of right. Um, you know, they asked him, you know, why did you shoot him? And, you know, the cop was mad. He said, look, I wake up every morning and risk my life to come into a community that's trying to kill themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I sat there and argue with people on Facebook. The situation that happened, I think it was in Ohio, where the, the little girl was getting jumped. And then she goes in the house, call the police. Police show up. And what one, one thing that he see is the girl charging another girl yeah. with a knife and he shoots. Some people say he would have never shot if he was if she was white. You might have a point, but right. one thing that I know that that officer probably got the information that there was a girl trying to hurt another girl. He don't know names. He, right. don't he don't know who's who. He don't know anything. Mm-hmm. He show up and he see a girl charging another girl with a knife, and he has to act because if he doesn't act, y'all gonna still be mad anyway. Because somebody else
2: is gonna be dead, exactly. Right? Some right.
0: people say, well, he should have used this taser. Tasers don't work on everybody. He should have sprayed, a, a doesn't risk. work on that's everybody. He should have tackled her. We have seen other officers tackle people. You don't know the size and the height and the weight of this man. You don't know if he could fight. Should he been there? Maybe not, but could he have got stabbed by doing that? Maybe so. He did what he was trained to do.
2: I, I You know, that's one of the situations that we, we actually talked about off air many, yeah. many times is if you watch the video footage, the, the, the one man that's involved in the situation is the father or the appointed guardian of the girl who had the knife? they got shot. And you want the police officer to do something that you as a man who loved this individual could not do, which is stop her from being aggressive (laughs) with a knife. You couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But you want to hold the police officer. And I've realized it was his daughter or whoever, you know, was related to him. He cared about. Was, was killed, I get it. Yeah. But if you can't control that person, how do you think this officer who knows nothing about what's going on right. to be able to control it? Every situation is not the same. And we have to stop looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. But if you wanna create change, we have to put people in place to be a part of law enforcement. Absolutely. And I don't think we, in the black community, I don't think we're doing enough of that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're doing enough for talking about the police. And having the police come in the community and talk to us, and in D.C. we had a they had a program called Officer Friendly, mm-hmm. and they would have an officer come to the school and talk to you. And and really and truly, whenever you saw a police officer in the city at this time, you would call them Officer Friendly, mm-hmm. right? They disbanded the program. Right. So you disband the program. And then the only thing we see police for is when something bad goes yeah. on. And it's usually ending up with somebody black in handcuffs or dead. Mm-hmm. So it changed the whole narrative about how we view police officers.
0: Absolutely. Uh, there was a case in Buffalo, I believe it was 2006 um, officer by the name of a uh, black officer by the name of Carol Horn uh, reported, you know, one of her white officers choked a black man while he was handcuffed. And she was essentially let go before she can get her pension. So she was let go when she was close to retirement, couldn't get her pension. And a few years later, that same officer was fired because he had had so many complaints about excessive force that he's used. Um, And we've seen that with Derek Chauvin. After Derek Chauvin's case, we realized there's so many he had so many complaints and there were. Other officers there, minority officers there that didn't stop Derek Chauvin from doing what he did. That's right. So we got to have that type of of people in the department that's willing to say, you know what? That ain't right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that ain't the way things supposed to be handled. And it has to be that type of way of thinking. Because one problem that happens in the police department is seniority. So, you know, even, even at a regular job, you bring on somebody. And they say, you know, how do you do this? You say, well, this is the way you're supposed to do it, but this is the way I do it. Right. Same exactly. thing happens at the police department. Right. This is what we're supposed to do, but if you're going to deal with these people, this is the way that I do it. And when you got seniority 20 years, 30 years over somebody, the rookies listen. They they, right. they, don't, they don't intervene. You don't have any say-so if I got more years than you. That's the way it works. You don't have any say-so if I got more rank than you. That's the way it works within, right. within law enforcement. So that's going to take people bold enough, brave enough, To say, you know what, it ain't right. That's right. That ain't that
2: ain't right. We we know from history and even in present day that racist rhetoric and actions are usually done in with the support or in large groups. Mm -hmm. It's never really one individual. If it's a one individual that's 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 having a communication, it's because he knows he has a system to support him in what he's doing, and and most conversations, we call that being a coward. Mm-hmm. So if you have a police department of 40 police officers and you have a substantial number that are black, it's going to be really hard for them to have that narrative come to the forefront mm-hmm. of racism and discrimination. It's going to be even harder to do because now you have to step out there on your own now, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't have the support that the, the department isn't 99% white anymore, right? So you don't have that force anymore. It's going to be harder for you to go out and commit a racist act in that, in that situation. So what we have to do is we have to see if we can do that in these police departments, mm-hmm. if we can get more black officers. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer to all the all the issues. Right. I'm saying that's a start. A start. That's a start. Um, we talked before about um, oppression and segregation. You can have a predominantly black community but not control anything in that community whether it's economical development um education um financial development politics anything law enforcement is included in that Mm -hmm. so when you have a predominantly black community and you have predominantly white police department that's a form of segregation and oppression Mm -hmm. how do you fix that you're not going to change the mindset of those officers just by saying that's wrong you have to have more people of color working in those departments. Right. that's yeah. the only way you're going to make working that in those
0: departments. And again, those promotional aspects, raising up in those departments, and, and making and, changes, and making changes from uh, from downward as, as, as supervision. Because then, when you have supervision, you can be able to get rid of those bad apples. So when the the case come across you, um, not not just in, in in law enforcement, but also have people in um and and you know um, what's it called. Um, internal affairs, IA. So when you have in, people in internal internal affairs, determines whether a police officer uh, was justified in some of the things that they did. You can have black people in there to say, "Well, we don't feel like that's justified because if it's people that still think those racist narratives, they're gonna definitely feel like they're 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 they're, they're, they're uh justified." That's right. Again, the Derek Chauvin case. If he goes and meet with IA all of these years and they think that all his complaints is bullcrap. Guess what? He stays on the Send force to the, the force. point where he's able to kill somebody.
2: And get promotions.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so we can look at that and see. But, you know, there's a, um, of course, when the Black Lives Matter came out, of course, they always come out with the, the, the opposing view, which was, you know, Blue, blue, lives, lives, matter. Matter, uh, blue lives Matter, the Blue Lives Matter. The one thing that I don't agree about that, you'll never hear me talk about being a Blue Lives Matter. Um, even as a person that wears a uniform and a badge, here's why to the people that are in, in uniform and wear a badge that is not of African American or a minority. Uh, blue represents the uniform. After eight hours or twelve hours, I can take that uniform off. <laughs> I can't take off being black. You know what I'm saying? I can go. I can go in the sheets with my uniform on. Everybody asks me how my day is. Everybody says good morning. Everybody tells me to be safe. Everybody, people ask me for directions. Everybody's smiling in my face. And I can go into that same store without a uniform on. Nobody pays me any attention. Nobody smiles at me. Shoot, you can say good morning to to them and they do not say nothing back. Same clerk looking at me like she ain't never seen me before in my life. Ain't, ain't got a word for me. That's the type of thing that we deal with on an everyday basis. I can't, I don't stop being black. I stop being blue whenever I take the uniform off and black officers would tell you that because there are off-duty police officers that's been killed by police officers just because they look a certain way that fit the description. You know, there are black officers that talked about being pulled over and being racially discriminated against before letting the officer know, Hey, I'm an I'm officer, an officer too. too. You know? Um, so when you talk about the black lives Matter statement and organization, Black Lives Matter statement and movement, not the organization. We're saying something totally different than when the blue with Blue Lives Matter said. Now, I hate when the police officers are killed. Um, It bothers me. I hate to see, you know, anybody get killed, Um, especially in the line of duty. I I respect all people who do wear the, the uniform the right way. And used to, to build the community and respect of others to serve the community, uh, be public service one before you be um, law and order. Um, but in the mid, it, it just shows you the funny thing is, but in the history of policing, they had to create black police organizations, <laughs> unions that still exist to the day. That's right. So even in the Blue Lives Matter movement, there's still a separate Black Lives Matter entity within the midst of the Blue Lives Matter murder. That just shows you the hypocrisy of the way of the people's thinking. So you still have Black organizations that are still trying to get the same treatment as white officers within the Blue Lives Matter entity. That's right. Uh, We're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. We are back. Um, Y'all know where to go. (laughs) So cool. <laughs> um I want to hear your perspective. Um, on, I just
1: I want to I wanted to tell a quick story. Uh, a few months back, I was in, uh, should I say the place or not? I'm gonna say it. Uh, Gretna, Virginia, is where I was at, and I was I was at Subway doing a delivery, and I was coming out of the door. White officer coming in the door, so of course I hold the door, not because, um, you know he. He's white. Oil. I held the door because, like my granddad taught us, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Anybody, any color, that's what you're supposed to do. Not to get a thank you. You don't hold the door to get a thank you. hold the door because that's what you're supposed to do. So I held the door. I said, how you doing? He looked at me and didn't say anything. So me, again, I'm a Libra, so I'm petty. So he he does that, and I laugh. So the next person that, that's in there that he gets to is white. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm like, okay. So again, me being petty, I go sit in the truck. He comes out of subway and he stares at me all the way to his car. So I pull off. He pull off behind me. Now, me being black, white officer in my head, I'm like, I can't make a mistake. Mm Because the minute I make a mistake, he's going to pull me over. Now, if anybody know Gretna, Virginia and the deliveries that I do, I do a lot of house stops. I do a lot of places where it might be nobody or it might be one white person. Um, He could follow me to those places and something can happen. You'll never know my side of the story. So for me, I knew in that moment I had to do everything correct. I had to, The speed limit had to be correct. Yeah. I had to stop at every stop sign. I had to use my signal. Now, granted, I know people are going to say, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. It's laws that we all break. Everybody do a stop and go. Everybody make a turn without using the signal light. Right. But in that situation, if I don't make the right decision, I might not be going home to my family. Uh-huh. And I immediately told my brother what happened. And I just don't understand the power that they want to use to come with that badge. Because again, me being black, the first thing I think is without you take that badge off, you wouldn't you wouldn't do that to me. Yeah. You wouldn't say that exactly. to me. Uh-huh. But because you got the badge on, you feel like you can say that to me because you got a gun on your head.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Dad. Go back to what you were saying off air because I do want to. Yeah, you know that.
2: this, and I'm not going to apologize for the statement I'm about to say. It, it's it's how I really feel. It's and, unapologetic. And, yeah, and, and whether you agree with it or not, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, obviously, there were some things that black the Black Matters movement. Um, brought to the forefront that I disagree with. And one of them was defund the police. Um, I'm not an advocate of defunding any police department, regardless of what happens. Um, because if you defund the police, just so people understand, if there's no funding for the police, you have no police. Who do you think is going to be affected by that disproportionately?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Black people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, 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 and I know when I say that, there's some white people that's listening to go, now you're talking about something I want to hear, John. Yeah. Because obviously, black on black crime is one of the largest in the country. Right. And we can't ignore that. And I know people say, well, you never talk about black on black crime. That's not what the podcast is about. Yeah. Right? You want to talk about black-on-black black crime, we'll have a different podcast. Right. Okay. We're we'll just talking about, we'll just talk about crime. on it. <laughs> we'll just
0: talk about crime in yeah. general. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, but if you defund the police, that's not an answer. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's gonna create an issue that's going to affect the black community disproportionately, mm-hmm. right? So what you have to and 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 when I say that, I'm not just saying that the crimes are going to be committed against against blacks. What I'm saying is, if Walmart knows that there's no police presence and that black people are going to come in or anybody's going to come in and 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 loot the store, they're going to shut down the store. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't get my milk from my Frankenberry, mm-hmm. right? That's a problem for me. So. <laughs> understand what you're, what, what's being said just because you hear a narrative that sounds good, you have to think about, is that really a good idea? Mm-hmm. Okay? I, for those that listen to comedians, a uh, comedian wants to say, yeah, I can drive with my knees, you know? Sounds good, not a good fucking idea. Yeah. Okay? Just think about things before you start creating that narrative mm-hmm. because everything that people think is good is not necessarily good. Yeah. Well, you have to do your homework. Find out if it's good for you, if it's good for your family, is it good for your community. And then you have to stand up. Yeah. Last episode, I said that when you see something, you need to say something. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't only regard to somebody in the community, Black, being treated unfairly, but it applies to somebody White, maybe being treated unfairly. But also, when you see police officers doing something wrong, you need to say something. Right. <clears throat> I, I look at that video, Derek Chauvin, Many, many times. And I asked myself, if I was there, would I have said something, Mm -hmm. you know? And and the first thought is, if you wanna go at home at night, you probably won't, right? But because nobody said anything, um, he didn't go home, Mm -hmm. you know? So when you see something, you have to say something. Mm -hmm. Videotaping has become the new voice, it cannot. I see every time there's a fight, People break out their cameras. Right. They don't call 911, they break out the cameras to video it right. so they can put it on social media. How about saying something? Mm-hmm. How about trying to stop it? As a citizen, yeah. As you, a you citizen, say, yeah. You know? We have came, we became the society that we rather publicize something than prevent it. Mm-hmm. Or publicize something rather than to oppose it. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to start opposing it. If you think about the civil rights movement and I hate to call it the civil rights movement but that's what it was. Suppose these folks did nothing. Suppose they said nothing. Mm-hmm. You you posted something yesterday or the day before yesterday about Jackie Robinson that I think a lot of people didn't know. Mm-hmm. And people think of Jackie Robinson as just this baseball player who broke a color, color barrier but he didn't have to deal with anything. He just played baseball. That's not true. You're an idiot if you think that. That's what they want you to That's think. That's what they want you to think. He didn't just play baseball. He dealt with racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and he dealt with racism in the harshest manners. Uh-huh. But prior to that, he dealt with racism of a different kind on a public bus. Uh, in the military. In the military. Um, that obviously changed the way that public transportation was being used by a uh, serviceman. Uh-huh. Um, so he did something, but not moving. He made a statement. And they can talk about, you know, they can talk about Rosa Parks all they want to. I mean, that's great what she did. But there's many other people who did exactly what she did that caused change that you will not hear about. And for white people that are listening, that's what this podcast is about. (laughs) That's That's what we do. We talk about the things that happened historically that you guys do not want to recognize because you want to put us in that box. Okay. And police officers are often put in a box from both sides. And as black Americans, we need to try to change that narrative.
0: Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to comment on, you know, your defund the police, which um, I agree with you. Um, but I think that defunding the police, in my opinion, should be a different way of thinking. So when we, when, when I think about defunding the police, because as somebody who has seen the budget given <laughs> to police and don't, that, that budget does not go to the officer's salary. But need I might add. That budget does not go to um that does not go to training uh of, of like cultural diversity and uh verbal judo and um all of these type of things that help you serve the community. That budget does not go into uh creating events and um programs, programs the for the community since the night since the nineties, that funding has been going to Militarizing the police. So, this is where you see these police officers having all of these gadgets for riots or for um uh the warrants that they're going to serve, all Mm -hmm. of these type of things. This is where you see uh more guns, um more gadgets on their belt, all of these type of things. This is where the funding goes and when I think of defunding the police is to take away a lot of those things that get people killed into the sort of position to where they feel like I got more power. Listen, the more things you put on somebody's hip, the more gadgets you give them, the more training you give them on these gadgets. Guess what? They stupid enough to think that I could, this is what they got. Gave me to try on people. <laughs> instead of giving, instead of having those conversations to de-escalate situations, instead of having those conversations about cultural diversity, Instead of having those conversations about how to peacefully deter a situation, prevention of a situation. And because you're giving them all of these gadgets that you tie into the budget to say, well, we're going to keep officers safe. The officer's job is to keep the community safe. safe. So what money are you using to make sure the community is safe? Because if the community is safe, guess who else the fuck is safe? The officers. You have to begin defunding the police should not be about defunding their money for uh, the salary, defunding the money for that because we know we need more officers and the way you get more officers is by giving them all money. The people that run the the police department ask all the time, what do we need to do to get more officers? Everybody know their answer. No matter where you work at, if you want more people, pay them more. Simple as that. Give them more benefits. Simple as that. Give them bonuses. Simple as that. Appreciate the ones that you got. Simple as that. Because now you got these police departments that starting new people off at $40,000 a year. Meanwhile, your officer that's been there 20 years still making $40,000 a year. That's That's a problem. So when we talk about defunding the police, in my mind, I'm thinking about that military-style police that was brought in in the 80s and 90s that need to go back to more of the community-oriented policing that put in programs, that put in uh, communication ways, to put in that community-based policing that we need to be able to create a safer environment, not just for your officers, creating a safer environment for the entire community.
2: That's right.
0: So, you know, when we look at Studies on why we need more black officers is because studies have shown that when you have Hispanic and black officers, the less force is used in situations in in black communities. You know, we need more black officers to step in to not just go along to get along, to not just fill in with that Blue Lives Matter narrative, to not just go in and just take that seniority above you and say, well, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way it needs to be done. No, we need people to come in to learn the practices and question every single thing. Listen to me. So the officers that's out there, you're the one that not only got to go home at night, you're also the one that don't want to be civilly sued or criminally charged. So if some of these concepts, again, you said something earlier that they're quick to prosecute black officers. So the same thing that white officers get away with, you will not get away with. That's right. So if you go into your, somebody else's apartment thinking it's yours and shoot somebody, you're not gonna get ten years.
2: That's right.
0: You look at that Minnesota case with the officer. It, it's very different from Derek Chauvin's case. You know what? They decided both of them was guilty. You're not gonna get the same treatment because as an officer, you're more likely to be charged as a black officer than you are as a white officer when they outnumber us a lot more. So if you not only want to keep yourself safe and keep yourself out of handcuffs, then you need to start questioning everything that they ask you to do. Just because you at the academy and they tell you to do it this way, hey, raise your hand. Why? What situations does this put me in? Show me the correct way of doing it to where I'm not hurting anybody that I can successfully bring this person into handcuffs and bring them into the facility or bring them um, or to de-escalate the situation. Everything has to be bent. Again, we talk about on this podcast, we got to go back and look at the roots of everything that was started. That's right. Policing started with the roots of slavery and then it moved on into Jim Crow. And then it still continues with the mass incarceration of black people today by racially profiling. This is things that we have to look at and say, you know what? Ain't right. And I know people hate the term we use black and white and all this other stuff. Understand something. Even as a police officer, one of the first things that you say to identify somebody Is what color skin they are, that's right, and that goes along with height and weight and what color, and then you get into what they got on. But you know what doesn't change Uh, their height, (laughs) their weight, (laughs) and their color of their skin. They can get rid of a hat, they can get rid of a jacket, they ain't getting rid of that black skin, they can get rid of that white skin, they're not getting rid of that height, and they're not getting rid of that weight.
2: And, And you know, we we talk all the time about how some people think that race doesn't matter and racism and discrimination doesn't happen as often as black Americans say it does. However, brand new study just came out September this year. A majority of black and white Americans say black people are treated less fairly than whites in dealing with the police and the criminal justice system. Like I said, just just a couple months ago, 87% of blacks and 67% of whites agree with this 67 now that number is a lot higher than I would have thought by the commentary that we normally get is white America normally thinks this doesn't happen Mm -hmm. 67% of you agree with what we're saying Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so that 33% that's still out there that don't (laughs) believe it go talk to your friends (laughs) go talk to your friends so they can give you a better understanding of what's really going on because they see the big picture. They right. see mm-hmm. the truth. You don't see it yet. That 37% is who we're talking to.
0: Right, right. That's, that's why you can't sell me on that word progress because progress means you still acknowledge the fact that it still exists.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So when people say that black people are the only ones that think that racism exists, well, one, we're the best at it because we're the ones that's being <laughs> discriminated against. We're the ones that's being treated unfairly because of our race yes. so yeah we're the best ones to say it however guess who else is good at saying it and should be yeah the ones that are doing yeah, yeah. it obviously they know it's wrong they know it's wrong mm-hmm. you're not going to tell me that Derek Chauvin didn't know what he was doing was wrong and here's the sad thing about that whole situation other than the fact that somebody died is if you look at the body language of the other police officers they didn't agree with that either mm-hmm. right? they attempted to get him to stop. One cop even asked several times, should we roll him over? Yeah. Nope. Derek Chauvin was the senior on the, on, mm-hmm. on. again, this is what we talk about, that pecking order in the, in the police department. He was the senior officer on the scene. Mm-hmm. The other ones were, in, were subordinate. They needed to play their role, do what they were told to do, and that's what they did. I would have loved to see one of them to say, fuck this job get your knee off of them. Right. That's probably not going to happen.
0: Well, it's not going to happen because you like the movie American Gangster. You quoted a number of times on here is You know, cops don't tell on other cops. No. You know, the reason why, because again, that blue, they want to sell you on that blue lives thing that we protect each other. So if you got, if you blue lives and you roll on me and I hear, I get a call that you, something happening to you, I ain't showing up on time because you rolled on me. I can't trust you. You know what I'm saying? So if, if you got people in those, those thin lines in the agency that feel like they can't trust you, a lot of people won't tell on other officers because you don't want to lose that trust um, of those fellow officers that's got to be there for you.
2: Absolutely. And I, I think that's that's probably my biggest problem with law enforcement is, is that people view law enforcement as the truth, as the righteous, mm-hmm. the lawful. Right? History
0: says that's otherwise.
2: But... And I'm I'm gonna tell you my mm-hmm. personal experience. One of the rare occasions that I was going to court for a crime, uh, I was being held in the back room and two officers were in a room next to me, didn't realize that I was in in the next room. And the officer said, hey, you look a little upset. And the officer said, yeah, man, he said, I got this case where I don't have enough evidence to support, you know, what what he's being charged with. And he said, hey, tell me what you need. Tell me what time I need to be there. And in my mind, I was going, what is he saying? He says, well, this happened last Thursday at nine o'clock. He said, I was there. Mm -hmm. I was there with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I told that story to a lot of people and a lot of people didn't even know what I was saying. I'm sure the two of you know exactly what I'm saying. This happens a lot more than people think. Mm -hmm. And it's usually involving a black suspect. And that goes back to the conversation we had with the
0: death penalty and wrongly convicted people. Because Absolutely. if you put an officer up on the stand, it is almost 100% guaranteed that they feel like that officer is telling the truth yeah. because Absolutely. of their uniform.
2: Absolutely. Who who are they more likely to believe? This individual that's in this courtroom with a badge on saying serve and protect in you with the orange jumpsuit and the shackles. Who are they going to believe? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we know the answer to that. I can speak from experience. Uh, yeah, I know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. So... In order to change that, we need that officer that he was talking to to been black. And mm-hmm. that officer go, no, man, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's on you, you arrest him. That's your case, right? We need more, it'll happen a lot less if you have more black officers trying to prevent it from happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I watch Chicago PD. I don't know if you guys watch it, but I watch Chicago PD. There's things that going on in Chicago that I can't even mention on this podcast. Being, have visited Chicago many, many times. So to be a police officer in Chicago, my hat goes off and I don't give a fuck what color <laughs> they are. Right? But you constantly see a black police officer trying to talk the white police officers down in a black community because he's afraid that they're gonna be trigger happy because it's a black suspect. Yeah, yeah. And he spends the whole episode trying to de-escalate these types of situations. These are true stories, man. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. When we watch a movie, you think that somebody's just coming up with these great ideas. Oh, that's a great line for a movie. No, this shit's coming from real life. This is what happens on a daily basis, not only in Chicago, but it happens everywhere in the United States. And the only way you're going to make change Mm -hmm. is we need more Officer Atwater's doing what he's doing on Chicago PD, trying to talk down his counterparts and then trying to educate them on why it's wrong. Yeah. Right? We need more of that.
0: You know, I'll, I'll close with, you know, um, I just want to give, I just want to give the flowers to the black officers. Now, I know the people who say, what about all officers? Listen, I, I, let, let me, let me, what this whole episode explains why we're just talking about black officers. But again, you know, nobody knows, you know, what officers in general go through on every single day, but especially what black officers go on every single day. Because when you take that uniform off, you got to go back to your black family. You got to go back to your black community. You got to go back to people who look at you a certain way just because you chose to be an officer and wear a badge. And I want to give you your flowers because there's not many people in the world that can deal with what you deal with on an everyday basis, especially when it comes to emotional trauma, especially when it comes to racism with inside the department that you know exists, that you're trying to convince people that, it's, that it exists, but they don't understand that Their way of thinking um, that they've been taught has been incorrect. And it's a way of thinking that should not be uh, pointed towards a a group of individual people. Um, But I understand what you're going through. And I know sometimes you may want to quit, especially after a case like uh, Derek Chauvin. Um, I know sometimes you want to quit, especially when people make comments about you being a sellout. I know sometimes it gets emotionally draining because you can't just have conversations with any person outside of law enforcement about what you're going through because they just won't get it but I just want to give you your flowers for number one um being respectable enough to stand up to say I want to make change in my community and number two um being strong enough to continue to infiltrate a system that was not designed for us but you're continuing to try to make change not just for you uh but for people in your community you're being the change that you want to see Um, We love you. We thank you for your service as public servants. We thank you for your communication skills within the black community. We thank you for trying to educate other officers on why you're there to try to de-escalate situations and help the community. Love y'all. Peace.